Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hello and welcome to the Haunted Estate. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Haunted Estate here with your host, me, Selena Myers. Like every time, it's always me, my dears. Here in Woodstock, it is a cool, dark day, my favorite kind of day. Maybe I'll go be creepy and and, uh, walk around a cemetery because I'm cool like that. Actually, to be truthful, I actually do like to do that and read the tombstones more in a normal way than a creepy way. Anyways, tonight on The Haunted Estate, who or what caused the mysterious death of Olivia Mabel? Why are demonic possessions making a comeback? And of course, we're going to go into the true story of Annabelle. That and so much more tonight on The Haunted Estate. Call and tell us your story toll free at one 260 3428 or mail it in at Selena at Oh, my dear friends, I am sitting here, and it is nice, and I got the breeze, and it's a good day, and I missed you guys, and I'm back, and I'm so lame, aren't I? Anyways, what would we like to start with today? Let's start with the true story of Annabelle, because I know why you're here. You read the title, and you were so excited, and you know what? That's okay. Be honest with me. Honesty is key. All right, this article and all articles today are from, of course, theoccultmuseum.com. If you go to blog on thehauntedestate.com or theparanormalpodcast.com, yes, click blog, you will see the title of the episode. You click on that and you will see all the links to the articles. There are always cool pictures. Head over and check them out. Already famous for their paranormal investigation and notorious Amneville case, Ed and Lorraine Warren were asked for their expertise once more. Two young women were being haunted by a demonic doll. Sounds strange? Not for the Warrens. Now, over 40 years later, the story of Annabelle, the the cursed doll, has been brought to the big screen. We look at the real story behind the Hollywood blockbuster. In 1970, Donna, a student nurse, received an antique Raggedy Ann doll from her mother as a birthday present. Taking the doll back to her small apartment, which she shared with her roommate, she placed the doll on her bed and thought no more about it until a few days later. At first, both women noted the doll had started to creep them out. But shortly after, they began to notice the doll had begun to change its position and eventually moved to different rooms from which it had been left when they were out. 
At time, Donna and her roommate Angie would find the doll sitting cross-legged on the couch with its arms folded. Other times, it was found upright, standing on its feet, leaning against a chair in the dining room. Several times, Donna, placing the doll on the couch before leaving for work, would return home to find the doll back on her bed with the door closed. Not only did the the doll move, but it could write too. About a month into their experiences, Donna and Angie found a penciled message on on parchment paper that read, Help us. The handwriting looked to belong to a small child. Knowing that they must do something about the sinister dolls, the roommate contacted a medium who conducted a seance. Through the medium, Donna and Angie were contacted by Annabelle Higgins, who told them her story. Annabelle was a young girl who had lived near to where the apartments were built. She was only seven years old when her lifeless body was found in the field upon where the apartment complex now stood. Annabelle told the women that she felt comfortable and safe with them and wanted to stay with them and be loved. Feeling compassion for Annabelle and her story, Donna gave her permission to inhibit the doll and stay with them. They were soon to find out, however, that Annabelle was not what she seemed to be. A mutual friend of the roommate's, Lou, had never been fond of the doll, and he had warned Donna to get rid of it. One night, his warnings came true. Waking from a deep sleep, Lou found to his horror that he was completely paralyzed. Looking down at his feet, he saw the doll, Annabelle. It began to slowly glide up his leg, moved over his chest, and then stopped. Within seconds, the doll was strangling him. Paralyzed, grasping for breath, Lou, at the point of asphyxiation, blacked out. He awoke the next morning, certain it was a dream. The next terrifying encounter he experienced occurred when Angie was alone in the flat, preparing for a road trip the next day. Hearing rustling noises from Donna's room, Lou quietly made his way to the bedroom, waiting for the strange noises to stop before entering and turning on the light. He discovered that the room was empty, except for the doll which looked like it had been hurriedly tossed to the corner of the room. Lou searched the room for anything out of place, but as he got close to the doll, he got the distinct impression that somebody was behind him. Spinning, he was surprised to find that no one was there. Then, in a flash, he found himself grabbing for his chest, doubled over, cut and bleeding. On his chest were seven distinct claw marks, three vertically and four horizontally. They were hot like burns. Finally, willing to believe that the spirit was not that of a young girl, Donna contacted a priest father named Cook, who immediately contacted the Warrens. Ed and Lorraine Warren were already well known for their paranormal investigation into the notorious Amityville case. After speaking with the roommates, Ed and Lorraine came to the conclusion that the doll itself was not, in fact, the problem, but it was being possessed and manipulated by an inhuman presence that was manipulating the doll into creating the illusion of it being alive to get recognition. The inhuman presence was not looking to stay attached to the doll. It was looking to possess a human host. It first began moving the doll around the apartment by means of teleportation to arouse the occupant's curiosity in hopes that it would give it recognition. By bringing a medium into the apartment to communicate with it, the demonic spirit was then able to communicate and prey on the girl's emotional vulnerabilities by pretending to be a harmless, lost young girl in which, during the seance, was given permission from Donna to haunt the doll and, in turn, 
the apartment. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today, or visit Angie dot com. That's A N G I dot com. The Warrens believe the next stage of the demonic infestation phenomenon would have complete would have been complete by human possession. Had these experiences lasted another two or three weeks, the spirit could have completely possessed, also harmed or killed one of the occupants in the house. At conclusion of the investigation, the Warrens felt appropriate to recite an exorcism blessing and cleanse the apartment at Donna's request. And as a few, as a further precaution against the phenomenon ever occurring in the home again, the Warrens took the rag doll along with them when they left. They had a special case built for Annabelle, where she resides to this day. The case is kept locked to keep the doll from moving around. But whatever terrible entity is attached to the doll is still there, biding its time. I find the case of Annabelle very intriguing, and some things that the, that the article doesn't mention, I'll go into. Um, along the road, there were there were certain things about the doll. Some priests that had worked with it, that had gotten in car accidents on the way home, bringing Annabelle home from the apartment. The Warrens themselves had almost gotten into an accident. Their car had been spun around, attacked. It was insane. And then there's an even cooler story, which is actually very tragic, about a boy who came in with his girlfriend. They had ridden in on their motorcycle, and he had taunted the doll and knocked on the doll and told it, "Oh, make something happen. I don't believe in you." Yadi yadi yadi. Well, on the way home, he got into a horrific accident. And if you go on the internet and you search it, because Annabelle is in the occult museum that Ed and Lorraine Warren now have, you can go visit her if you want. But there's a lot of accounts of people who tapped on the glass, made fun of her, that had very, very tragic endings. Do you own a haunted object? We want to hear about it. Email us at Selena at thehauntedestate.com or call us toll free at one eight seven seven two six zero three four two eight. So, who or what caused the mysterious death of Olivia Mabel? In 1994, Texas authorities responded to a silent 911 call from the home of Olivia Mabel. What they found terrified them. On February 27, 1994, Olivia Mabel's body was found in her secluded Texas ranch house, sitting upright in a rocking chair in front of a mysterious altar dedicated to her deceased son. The bizarre and lonely death of Olivia Mabel is the only unsolved death in history in the quiet north town of Salina. Whoa! 
freaking me out. Adam, we're recording right now. But come here. Look at this shit. I would like to apologize for my outburst of excitement. Not only is this town called Selena, but it is spelt like my name, which is C-E-L-I-N-A. I just got, you know, when you have a name like mine that is very, very rare, especially how it's spelt when you see it, it's like, whoa, and for it to be the town of something so creepy made me extra excited. I'm sorry. We will now resume to the podcast. In addition to the mystery surrounding her death, there's shocking evidence that Olivia Mabel may have actually constructed a thought form identity out of her grief over her son's passing. This entity might have been contributed to her death. Olivia Mabel was a doting mother to Aiden and wife to Travis, living on a sprawling property called the Footlights Ranch about an hour north of Dallas. Her world came crashing down in 1990 when seven-year-old Aiden was found dead in a pond on the property. Overcome with grief and guilt, Olivia retreated from work, friends, church, her husband, leading to their divorce in early 1991. Utterly alone in this world, she was last seen alive in September 1991. Two and a half years later, on February 20th, 1994, police responded to silent 911 calls from Maple's home. They arrived on the scene. Hearing no response, officers broke down a barred door, and what they found shocked and horrified them. They entered what felt like an abandoned house, choked with dust, long neglect, and dead air. Searching the house... As they entered Aiden's incongruously tidy room, they found Olivia, dead, in a nightgown and slippers, perched in a rocking chair in front of a crude altar to her son, clutching a stick figure of a doll in his image. Investigators estimated that she had been dead for months. Upon the altar, a trunk covered with a child's bedsheet was a photo of Aiden, hand-drawn images of Aiden, a profusion of messages handwritten to Aiden by Olivia, personal possessions of his, including a baseball glove, teddy bear, a pair of shoes, an urn containing ashes, candles, flowers. Affixed to the front of the altar was a ceremonial writing in a language that led investigator Terry Goshworth didn't recognize, which turned out to be Sanskrit. The writing translated English as a construct or to build. Francesca Santito, among the officers on the scene, described what she found. I spent a lot of time in El Paso. I had an uncle there who was into some really dark occult stuff. I recognized it immediately. When I walked into that room and saw the symbols and the photos and the altar, I felt a strong, angry, angry presence looming over me. It was honestly the last thing I expected to see in this town. Based on the altar and the Sanskrit, the doll, the isolation, the obsession, and the strong, angry presence Santigo felt, many had speculated that Olivia Mabel managed to channel her momentous grief into the creation of an actual entity known in Tibetan Buddhism as the tulpa, or in English, a thought form. A tulpa is described as being created through sheer spiritual or mental discipline alone, or magic formations generated by a powerful concentration of thought. One pictures a daphimus haze, thought to be shaped and compressed down to the tangible form given by autonomous life, by the intense concentration will power even or work on the desperation of the creator. Incredibly, a note dated from February 27, 1994, 
the date of the 911 calls and the arrival of the police on scene was found near the body, though Olivia had clearly been dead for weeks or months. The stunning message reads, My Aiden, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I should have never let it go on like this. I'm leaving. I will not let you keep me, vile, evil creature. Mommy's coming for you, Aiden. My sweet Aiden, Mommy loves you. Officer Santigo commented later, One of the oddest parts for me was the date on the last letter we found, dated that very dark day we kicked in that swollen door. The city concluded that she postdated everything, but I don't believe she was alone in that house, and I don't believe that her spirit was still in the room with us that night. But that makes me the crazy one, right? Had the tulpa Olivia created in Aiden's image gotten out of control or turned evil? Who or what placed this 911 call to the house that evening? Belgian-French explorer, spiritualist, and Buddhist Alexander David Neal observed the tulpa creation in the 20th century, in 20th century Tibet, and wrote a magic mystery in Tibet. Once a tulpa is endowed with enough vitality to be capable of playing the part of a real being, it tends to free itself from its maker's control. This, say, Tibetan occultist, happens nearly mechanically. As the child, when its body is completed and able to live apart, it leaves its mother's womb. In 2005, current owner Christopher Hagen, unable to sell the property, bought in Austin. Paranormal investigator Drew Navarro uh, did an investigation. He said that he had done hundreds of investigations, but he had never felt such an imposing force. I couldn't breathe. My heart was constantly racing. Its energy kept changing, but none of it felt inviting. Whatever was there is extremely possessive, behaves erratically like a jealous child throwing a tantrum. As far as I'm concerned, that house and the entirety of the property should be avoided. It needs serious intervention, because I'm not sure what we're dealing with. The property remains unsold. I really find that one interesting, and there's so many different questions that an article like that arises. And first, that is occultmuseum.com. You know, theparanormalpodcast.com, click blog. There you go. Regardless, there's so many questions that arise. Is this really a spirit? Did somebody happen on the house decide to call? But why were those letters post-dated? There's, there's some movies that touch base on, you know, spiritual activity being summoned simply through thinking about it. Think about it when a bunch of teen girls get together and they, they start doing all this stuff and it happens. You know, you question, is it simply just the energy all being directed in that in that location and it makes sense it makes sense from a scientific point so that is a really great article and um there are some fantastic fantastic pictures there's um the doll the note the altar very creepy make sure to go and check that out for yourself actually right so babes we need your help please rate me review me subscribe to me make me yours but most of all don't be selfish share me with your friends do that for the podcast i would really love to grow it we're getting a great amount of downloads but i want to hear more from you guys so please make sure that you do that call me toll free at one 260 3428 and you're not gonna have to talk to me it's simply a recording and if you sound bad i won't put you on and i'll let you know but that's never happened but yeah call give me a topic idea i've had some pretty cool calls from some truckers they're my favorite 
hi boys, hi girls. <laughs> or if not, you can always email me anything. Are you bored? Do you just want to talk? Chances are I am too. And that is Selena, C-E-L-I-N-A at thehauntedestate.com. So my friends, we move on. Why have exorcisms and demonic possessions made a comeback? Assistant Professor of Religious Studies at Texas University. At Texas State University, I teach an honors course called Demonology, Possession, and Exorcism. It's not a gut course. My students produce research papers on topics that range from the role of sleep paralysis in reports of demonic attacks to contemporary murder cases in which defendants have claimed supernatural forces compelled them to commit crimes. In fact, talk of demons isn't unusual in Texas. The first day of class, when we watched a clip of an alleged exorcism at an Austin Starbucks, many of my students said that they'd seen similar, had seen similar scenes in the towns where they'd grown up. A few students even admitted that their parents were nervous that they had signed up for the class. Maybe these parents were worried that the kids would become possessed or that studying possession in the classroom might make demons seem less plausible or perhaps a mix of both. Either way, these parents aren't a suspicious minority. A poll conducted in, in 2012 found that 57% of Americans believe in demonic possession. But while the influence of institutionalized churches has waned, few sociologists today would claim that science is eliminating the belief in the supernatural. In fact, in the 40 years since the blockbuster film The Exorcist premiered, belief in the demonic remains is as popular as ever, with many churches scrambling to adapt. So why is exorcism made a comeback? It may be that the belief of the demonic is cynical. Historian of religion, David Frankfurter, notes that the conspiracy theories involving evil entities like demons and witches tend to flare up when local religious communities are confronted with outside forces, such as globalization and modernity. Attributing to misfortune and social change the hidden evil forces, Frankfurter suggests is a natural human reaction. The demonic provides a context that can make sense of unfamiliar or complex problems. While European practiced exorcism during the Middle Ages of the Golden Age of demonic paranoia had taken place in the modern-day period, in the 16th and 17th century, thousands were killed in witch hunts. There were spectacular cases of possessions, including the entire convent of nuns. The Protestant Reformation was key to the contribution of the event. The resulting wars of religion devastated Europe's population, creating a sense of apocalyptic anxiety. At the same time, exorcism had become a way for the Catholic Church and even some Protestant to demonstrate that their clergy wielded supernatural power over demons, something that their rivals lacked. In some cases, possessed people would even testify that rival churches were aligned with Satan. But by the 19th century, medical experts such as Jean Martin Charcot and his student Sigmund Fried, Sigmund Fried oh wow, I'm having a hard time reading today, the popular, had popularized the idea that the symptoms of demonic possession were actually caused by hysteria and neurosis. Exorcists have come to be seen as unsophisticated people who lack the education to understand mental illness. 
a view that made exorcism a liability for churches instead of an asset. This was especially true for American Catholics who had been long disparaged by the Protestant majority as superstitious immigrants. By the time we, William Peter Blatty's novel The Exorcist was published in 1971, the secularization narrative had gone from mainstream. In 1996, the magazine had run its famous cover asking, Is God Dead? In 1970, Gallup found that 75% of Americans claimed religion was losing influence, the highest percentage in history of the poll, which was first conducted in 1957. Blatty's protagonist, Damon Karras, is a, oh, that's a large word, some kind of priest, who, who had lost his faith. At the end of the novel, Karras lays dying from the battle with the demon Pazuzu. He cannot speak, but his eyes are filled with elation, presumably because he is now positive proof that demons, and by extension God, actually exist. Though the character of Father Karas, Blatty, captured, widespread, feeling a longing for the supernatural in a disenchanted age. While the Jewets run magazine, America planned the exorcist as sordid and sensationalistic. Blatty proved that Americans were not dismissive of the idea of exorcism. In 1971-72, the novel spent 55 weeks on the New York bestsellers list. The film adaptation grossed over $66 million in its first year. In 1990, as a part of the homely given in New York City's St. Patrick's Cathedral, Cardinal John O'Cardiner even read from The Exorcist in order to dramatize the reality of demonic power. Today, a significance of segment in the popularity reports belief in demon. According to 2007, 48% of Americans agreed strongly in the possibility of demonic possession. And in a Pew Research survey conducted in the same year, 68% of Americans said they believe in the presence of angels and demons. While the survey can't, re can't reveal exactly what people mean when they say they believe in demons, it's clear that these people don't constitute a, su a superstitious minority. Rather, they're a normal part of today's religious landscape. People have historically used evil spirits to explain a number of misfortunes, whether it's a physical illness, a routine of bad luck. But today, demons are frequently used to interpret contemporary political issues, such as abortion or gay rights. In the 1970s, Protestants, deliverance ministries had offered to cure gay teenagers by casting out their demons. This practice has now been used in Islam and even in Chinese holistic healing methods. When the state of Illinois legalized gay marriage in 2013, Bishop Tom and Paprocki, Paprocki held a public exorcism in protest politically. The bishop's rituals served for, to give him some fame in changing social mores as a manifestation of demonic evil. That is a part of the article which is also found on the occultmuseum.com link will be on thehauntedestate.com I'm just going to stop reading it simply because as you can see I'm having a really hard time with my words today um, and I'm, I feel like I'm butchering it. it it does have a few errors in it which are throwing off my words but I just want to share with you guys something I do have central auditory processing issues it's something that I was diagnosed with as a very young child um, I dealt with a lot 
Uh, growing up, I always had to sit in the front left corner of the room. It's it's not a learning disability as something like um, ADHD. It, it doesn't affect me cognitively. It just, it it's not even like dyslexia. It's just sometimes I lose where I am really quick and I can't pick it up. And I know how to pronounce the words in my head, but it does cause me to stutter a bunch. So I know I'm starting to find that that's coming across a lot more. And I try to read the articles first um, to make sure that I have it in my head so it, it can slow down the uh, mispronunciation of words. But I find that I still come across as an idiot when I, when I do listen to things backwards. So if you hear me stuttering and stuff, that's another one of my problems, stuttering. But I feel pretty comfortable making these podcasts for you guys. But if it is too much, let me know. I can really try harder to read these a bit better. Anyways, the article... Um, if you read The Demonologist by Ed and Lorraine Warren, they talk about how every, you know, few decades, it, demons and exorcisms and the fascination becomes very much more popular. And a lot of the time it has to do with dates, times of years, and who knows if it has to do with certain decades and such things like that. But I do find, for me, I've, I've, I've touched on it very lightly, my belief in demons and angels and God and that kind of stuff. And the truth is, is that I'm not set on what I believe in. I take what everybody says. Um, I take it in. I listen to it. I pack it away and I apply it to the experiences that I've had. For me, I've just, I really believe in positive and negative energy. But anyways, I want to thank you so much for coming and listening to this episode of The Haunted Estate. And again, I have to ask, please rate, review us, subscribe us. It really makes the difference for this podcast and means the world to me. And call, record your story. If you don't like it, call again, say, hey, don't play that on the show, and that's fine. And that is a toll-free number that I have for you, and that's one 877 Two six zero three four two eight, and if you ever see anything cool on Facebook, oh my gosh, please feel free to tag me in it. You can either tag at host Selena or see if you can even do the haunted estate. And if not, please email it to me. That's Selena C E L I N A at thehauntedestate.com. Enjoy your night, my spooky little buddies. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.